also for the last number of weeks, we've been talking about Kingdom Partners, that we want to be a community that is not just rooted in Calgary, although we want to be rooted very much here, but that we would go beyond our own borders. And so this morning, I'm really, really pleased to be able to introduce Kevin and Julia Garrett to you. About 21 years ago, uh, Dave and I met Kevin and Julia for the very first time. We were on the mission field in Hong Kong, and we met you for dinner. I doubt, I doubt you even remember this um, meal, but we remember it. Um, because at that moment, when we met Kevin and Julia, we understood, Dave and I understood as very young teenagers, we weren't really teenagers, but <laughs> as very young junior highs, that, uh, that we were standing in the presence of people who had made sacrifices for the kingdom and were heroes in the kingdom of God. And uh, as time has gone on, many of you have seen Kevin and Julia in the news. I'm not going to tell their story, they're going to tell their story. But we are blessed on this day of the national, this is the National Day of the Persecuted Church, and we are blessed to have them here. So uh, would you give them a round of applause, a big Journey Church round of applause. Thank you. Good morning, Journey. Am I on? I'm on. Good. Thank you for such a warm welcome. And Gwen, thank you for the treats yesterday. She dropped at our room. We really appreciate that. It's actually good to be here inside Journey. We were here once before, but we had to be outside. And, uh, but that was okay. It was a nice warm day, so we didn't mind that at all. And um, I know many of you have heard bits and pieces of our story. We want to share a bit more about that today. We spent 30 years in China, and then God decided to give us two bonus years in prison. And uh, really, that's how we view it. They're bonus years. It's really what... God wanted to do, and it's, it didn't feel like, I must say, it didn't feel like bonus years at the beginning. You know, the very first day, it did not feel like a bonus year. After two years, not so much either, but we see more. Our story is told in the book, Two Tears in the Window. It's available here today. You're welcome to pick up those. And uh, because Christmas is coming, we're selling them two, we're selling $20 each, or two for 40 whichever you like. So, <clears throat> I know, I know. And uh, I want to start our day with a couple questions for you to think about. Did God really mean prison for good? Think about that. Is God really who he says he is, who the Bible says he is, this book? Is he? Can we trust God with our lives when our lives are totally turned upside down? Can we? Think about that. In June 1984... We went to China to teach English for one year. Six weeks after we got married. Kind of honeymooned in China. A little different, no fortune cookies. But um, it was good. I'm kind of wondering who those young people are up there. But anyways, that's, you know, that's a little while ago. Junior high days maybe, I don't know. Over those 30 years, from 1984 to 2014, we lived in seven different cities in China. We planted what we call community life hubs, basically a, a community kind of center that from the hub radiated all sorts of good things, like prayer, like discipleship, like a small business. Over those uh, years, we had children, four of them. I had to count. At first, I thought one was enough, and then two, and then three, and then we decided we would adopt one. And so we had four children. Our youngest, Hannah, just got married. Uh, three months ago, almost three months ago now, she lives in Edmonton, and uh, very thankful for her. Our final, what we call life hub, 
was on the border of China and North Korea, and we were working into North Korea. It was called Peter's Coffee House. And I don't mean to brag, but it was the best coffee on the border. Okay? I haven't tried yours yet, so I don't know. But on the border, it was the best. Not the only, okay? And uh, from there, we were able to bring aid into North Korea, in partnership with a lot of different groups in, inside North Korea, which is not an easy thing to do. And uh, Peter's became really a hub of activity and community. And I remember very clearly one day, a, a student rushed in to the coffee house. And uh, he was beaming. He was waiting for a hug from Julia. And he said this, I couldn't wait to come back from university to my family here. He meant the coffee house. I haven't even gone to my home yet. And that said to us how much God created community in that place. We would do things like have English corners. We could seat 45 people. We would get 120 coming. Talent shows and all sorts of things like that. Everything was going really well. Incredibly well, I thought. We just returned from a trip to North Korea. And we had lots of training and outreach planned for August of 2014. On August 4th, 2014, we went out for dinner with a couple we didn't know. It was a friend introduced them and said, They'd like to talk about uh, their daughter going to study at the University of Toronto, where Julie and I had both graduated from. And so we went to this dinner. I remember feeling it was an odd dinner afterwards. Right after the dinner, as we came down into what was an empty lobby when we first came in, it was filled with probably a couple of dozen people, and it turned out to be an abduction. And uh, we disappeared from that lobby into the darkness of the night separated us and I didn't see Julia for about three months after that and this short video will tell you a bit more about that in August of 1984 Julia and I went to China to teach English and we end up staying for 30 years and getting involved in aid projects working with churches and orphanages we just got married we were 23 24 and we met two different individuals who had both come back from teaching in China and they just kind of dropped the seed there. And finally, the Chinese government invited us to come and teach English, so we went over to China. We really loved it. We set up kindergartens, orphanage, schools, training centers in very small towns in China. Julie and I were arrested on August 4th, 2014. All these people came and grabbed us, separated us, and didn't see Julie for months after that. I suddenly was taken by two men and I remember thinking who are these people like where am I going what's wrong they they must be the wrong people they must have made a mistake they took me to our apartment with about 18 security personnel and then they proceeded to just ransack our apartment taking books off the shelf going through everything that we owned like our children's binoculars and they said oh you know kind of like oh this is spy material or they found a, a computer in a cupboard and they said aha you're trying to hide it and this went on till four or five o'clock in the morning they put me back into the car and they drove for close to an hour out of town. I ended up at this kind of remote compound and through locked doors, they lead me into this room. There's a bed, a couple desks, and two cameras mounted on the wall. The windows were uh, covered with very dark, heavy curtains. And that's where I spent the next six months. The interrogation was hard, was terrifying, but I just thought, okay, I'm here to love these people. So I'm gonna to try to serve them, I'm gonna to try to be kind. And I thought, you know, this is their job. 
They think I'm a spy, I'm not a spy. We're both in a really awkward position. They say, we're not interested in your Christian work. And so going through my mind, I'm thinking, well, then what could you be interested in? There's nothing else that we're doing here. I mean, we're running a coffee shop, we're working with an orphanage, we're doing aid work into North Korea. And I thought, well, this should be over really quick because we're not. When I found out that the whole world knew and that there were so many people praying, I thought, aha, that's how the family of God works together at times like that. You're all alone, you don't know anyone's with you, you think nobody even knows you're there, but you're not forgotten. They verbally threatened many times, uh, threatened execution, they threatened to send me to North Korea, they said we could get seven or eight years in prison, but they never physically hurt me in any way. I didn't know how Julia was. I figured out after a while that she was in the same building. Kevin was actually downstairs in the same building as me, and he realized that I went out for my walk around the outdoor courtyard right after he did. He started drawing little hearts with his boots, planted two boots like this to make hearts in the snow. And sometimes the guards would stamp them out, but sometimes I'd come out and there would be these little hearts in the snow. And we used like little ways like that to kind of send each other love messages, and I think that really helped us to get through. The morning of February 3rd, they got up at my normal time, had breakfast, and it wasn't long after breakfast that they told me to pack up my things, and then we drove an hour and a half to the prison, and that was a, a whole new, well, experience really isn't quite the right, right word. It was um, a whole new level of an imprisonment, of being detained. My head investigator drove me back to my apartment and said, come down whenever you're asked and don't do this, don't do that, follow this, follow that. And then the next 19 months was in that context for me and in prison for Kevin. And I entered into that you know, huge uh, building, big, uh, thick gray walls, uh, very tall, probably 20 or 25 feet tall, I'm guessing, and uh, get put into cell 318 that had up to 14 other people in that cell, and that's where I, I stayed for the next 19 months. Once in a while, the investigators came back and they said, oh, it'll be over soon. And so, you know, I fixed my hope on soon, but then soon became months, and they said, oh, it's been uh, extended for another six months. And yeah, at that point, I would just, because I, I thought the time is almost up, I'm going to be released. And that was Christmas 2015. And I hope just it fell out. I just, um, I guess you could say I felt just despair because I thought, how can I do another six months? There was still no court date in sight. There was still nothing in sight. Inside the prison cell itself, it was about 12 paces long by about five, not quite six paces wide. And when you have 14 people in that kind of space, it's crowded. Your bathroom is a, a glass-walled enclosure, maybe two paces by less than one. Having glass walls and having cameras uh, facing you all day long in that cell, and, and when you're in the bathroom is not, um, well, it's not pleasant. I guess we have to say that. The food cart comes down and they slop it in with a, a big ladle into a communal bowl. Uh, it's usually enough for three to four people to eat, so you, you eat in a group, and that's how we ate every day. All the way through, the consular officials kept telling me when they came that 
this is being raised at the highest levels. You know, the, the government's working on this. And, and I, I had hope in that, that they were doing something, that it wasn't on the back burner. That when uh, Prime Minister Stephen Harper came, he did bring it up with uh, Chinese officials. That when Prime Minister Trudeau came, he brought it up at the highest level. For that, we're incredibly grateful. And then September 13th happened. They pronounced me guilty of espionage and spying and they sentenced me to eight years in prison. And um, that was upsetting. But the embassy official, when I was able to talk to him afterwards, he said, it's okay, Kevin, we've been told that you could be deported as early as Thursday, but we won't know for sure until you're actually on the plane. I hardly slept that night. I think I was up much of the night just anticipating, is this really gonna happen? Am I really gonna be released? Or is it just another huge disappointment? And a little before six, they came to get me. And we go in this three-car convoy to the nearest international airport, which was about three hours away. And they get put on the plane as the very last passenger on a plane bound for Tokyo. As the plane door closed, our lawyer, he handed me a a box of maple cream cookies and his iPad with pictures and messages from Julie and the kids on it. But it was just, um, I think the shock was just settling in that this is really happening. And when I got off that plane, border security officials met us and took us uh, through a back way and I walked into that room where Julie and my, my family were there, the kids were there. It was just, it was unbelievable and almost unreal. And then the door opens and Kevin like walks in with this massive beard and this like huge smile and like everyone just like rushed into his arms and it was like this giant <laughs> hug. <laughs> you don't ever want that moment to go away. You're just so happy and so thankful and so grateful. I've been waiting for 775 days for that day to happen. It was an amazing and wonderful reunion on September 15th. September 15th, 2016, just over five years ago. It seems almost like yesterday in some ways. When the two Michaels were released less than two, two months ago, I remembered very well what happened with me and how it went. And I know how they felt those days. You know, when our plans are blindsided, God is there, right? He's ever-present. He's always at work. As our faith and trust in him was stretched to a whole new level during those two years, he revealed himself to us in incredible, incredible ways. In Genesis 50, verses 19 and 20, Joseph speaks to his brothers who were expecting revenge for them selling him into slavery, right? You remember the story. But Joseph says this, do not be afraid. Am I in God's place? What he's saying is, I have no right to judge you because I'm not God. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And I'm convinced that God meant it for good. Doesn't mean it was easy. It was incredibly, incredibly hard. I know, and I want you to know too, 
Psalm 139 says, He formed us. He knows who we are. He knew us before we were born. He knew what we would go through. And he designed us for our story, for whatever we go through. He's designed us, and he gives us the grace to do it. Even in such a hopeless place as the Chinese judicial system, the Chinese prison, where they have a 99.9% conviction rate, they are that good. I held on to hope. But how is this possible in the midst of hopelessness? Let me take you back to prison for a minute. My cell smelled worse than a men's locker room. I know, women, you've never been in one, but don't try. Nurses, because I was in the medical wing, walked on the other side of the hallway when they passed our cells. I never left that cell with those 14 inmates except once a month for a 30-minute consular visit from the embassy. All I could do was pace in that narrow aisle, sit on my wooden bed, sit on a little plastic stool to eat. Everything is about punishment in a Chinese prison. Nothing is about reform in any way. I had to choose every moment of every day. I had to get up again. I remember many, many mornings getting up, waking up and saying, God, you've got to help me do this again. It wasn't easy. It wasn't natural. It was like, God, help me today. God, help me this moment. Three seconds later, God, help me this moment. But you know, he did. Every single time, he did. I had hours every morning, and really every day, to pray, to read. I would get up very early every morning, and God would drop words into my heart, and news for people. God put me there for a reason. But my choice was to join him in what he was already doing. Because right? God is at work always and everywhere. I had to jo- choose to join him, to join him so he could tell his story through me. And that's the same for all of us. In prisoner, I was the only foreigner, the only white guy in prison. Everyone else was Chinese. Everything was in Chinese. Fortunately, I spoke some Chinese. In China, before prison, that's BP, right? It used to be a gas station. Um, we prayed that people would ask questions. The funny thing is when you pray that, what happens? Come on, this is not a trick question. They ask questions. In prison, I prayed the same thing. Lord, let them ask questions. I didn't stand on my wooden cot and preach. I just said, Lord, let them ask questions. And they started asking questions. Like, can you tell me some Bible stories? That was a university professor who said that. One inmate, Henry, he was a medical equipment salesman. He was in prison for tax evasion. He says, I didn't know. But anyways, that's another thing. After many conversations over a number of months, he said to me, Kevin, I want to believe like you. Because they ask questions. Another inmate, Wong Ting, a former police officer. And I had, at one point, I had five former police officers in my cell. Tells you a little bit about the police system there. He never, asked, he never wanted to ask any questions about Jesus. I prayed lots for him. We were in the same food group because we would eat in small groups. For 10 months, this went on. Then he went to court. He was convicted and sentenced to five years in prison. And I'm praying, God, he needs to know you but he won't ask a question. A couple weeks later, 
the day he was going to be sent to the big prison where there's five or 6,000 inmates. In mine, there's only 900 inmates. Five minutes before the guards were scheduled to pick him up, he says, can you tell me about Jesus? And quickly going through my mind is, God, only five minutes? That day, and only that day, the guards were 30 minutes late. Because God wanted him to hear. God really is able to do immeasurably more than all we ever ask or imagine. Young, another inmate, he was a drug addict. He was in the wooden cot beside me. No interest in Jesus whatsoever. His fifth time in prison, he never learned. Goes to court, he gets sentenced to 15 more years in prison. He knew he'd die there. I knew he'd die there. He was in really rough shape. He turned to me after he came back from court knowing that it wouldn't be long before he'd be sent off to the big prison. And he said to me, can I read your book? The Bible. At that point, I had a Chinese Bible with me. And I said, sure. Because I was loaning it out. It is permanently loaned to that prison now. In hopelessness, God speaks. It's difficult. It's challenging. It's painful. It hurts. But in that hopelessness, God speaks. Let me tell you one story about the prison warden. Very stern woman, late 50s probably. She came by one day and she talked like this. She looked in the cell. She didn't come by very often. She said, can we go? That's just how she spoke, without a mic, okay? She says, I see you're reading your book, the Bible. So at this point, I'm thinking, uh-oh. Then she said, that's good. Then it dawned on me what she just said. She announced to the cell, to the cells around, to the guards with her, and really to the whole prison, because word gets around, that reading the Bible is good. How else would that have happened unless I was there? How else would Young or Henry or Wang Ting here unless I was there? You see, God had a plan and a purpose in all that. For me, my cellmates, my interrogators, you know, I could have died there. And at some number of points, it seemed like I would have. And that would have been okay, you see. And if I had died there, and I said this, because at one point I said to God, you can take me now, it's okay. I didn't know. But now more than ever, I know that we must proclaim the hope we have. We must proclaim the hope we have, we must. It is that living hope that changes everything. Do we even realize what we're given? <laughs> Do we value it? Do we treasure it? Do we know how precious it is and how empty it is not to have it? We have it and we can take it for granted. And I remember saying, okay, God, when I'm in the, I was in the six months in solitary confinement, 
and I'm in one room interrogated six hours a day by three men facing me. They're trying to mess up my brain. They're trying to take me down rabbit holes. They're just all kinds of techniques and tricks. And I said, okay, God, if, and you've said you've designed me for my story, then this is the test. Because I'm crying, I'm shaking, I'm weak. I can't do it. I, Julia, can't do it. But I know you can do it. And you've put your spirit in me. And I would just answer their questions. Sometimes with questions. I would go back from the six hours of interrogation and have all this homework to do. They give you like writing pages and pages and pages of confessions, which just means like every detail of everything you ever said in your entire 10 years living on that border area. They want you to recreate that. And then when you can't remember who you met three years ago at 3.30 p.m., they make you feel like you're an absolute idiot trying to hide something from them. It was exhausting. I'd sometimes just wake up in the middle of the night. The lights are already on. The guards are, two guards are planted in my room. They're writing notes and they're staring at me all the time. And I'd wake up and suddenly like, I think I met that person. I think I said this. You know, you're just, your mind is just full of this stuff. But when I went into that solitary room, the Holy Spirit, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit went in there. And that's when I learned the theology of the Trinity in a whole new way. You see, one day, after a whole week of interrogation, I was exhausted. And also, I'm thinking at night, like, will I ever hug my children again? Will I ever see my parents again? Are they alive? Are they dead? The interrogators wouldn't even answer my questions. Is Kevin alive or dead? Has Kevin said this or that? What should I say when they ask me the questions? And I said, God... You know, my interrogators, I thought, yeah, they get a full-out view of a Christian in all circumstances. They saw me good times, and they saw me weeping, and they saw me crying out to God. And this time they saw me, I'm crying out to God. And I said, God, I can't do this. I'm too lonely. There's nobody on my side. I don't even have one friend in here. And he says, the three of us will come for the weekend. And I was just like, What? He's like the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're coming. And I suddenly realized that's the only perfect family. That's why we can't figure it out. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one family, one God. And yet, I got three family members visiting me for the weekend. Now, unpack that in a theology class. God just came, and I felt him. Jesus just sat beside me. He just whispered these beautiful treasures into my heart. Or he just pulled out little scriptures that had been embedded in my heart. And he just brought them to my mind. And then the Holy Spirit just like filled me with renewed strength. Like it says in Romans 12, right? The renewing of your mind. It says don't be conformed to this world. I couldn't be conformed to that environment. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you will know that which is the perfect will of God, the perfect and acceptable will of God. Now, those are when we ask those hard questions. Can I say, not my will, but yours be done? 
But the minute I start to say that, every time I would start to say that, I would be filled with an outpouring of love for my guards and my captors. That's a miracle. You see, that's not humanly possible. That's what Jesus in us does. He helps us with an all-surpassing strength to do what's not humanly possible. Why waste that? Why walk around and waste that? Walk around and not even realize that he's given us that incredible treasure. Psalm 56, verse 8. I loved it in there. God collects all our tears in a bottle. I was like, boy, you have a whole collection up there of mine just from a short season. And then 18 more months, I was basically confined to our apartment waiting for Kevin to come out of prison and basically not able to do anything other than answer their burner phone and go down for more interrogations and have them follow me if I went to get some food and come back after I got out of the solitary confinement. It was still a whole different life. You see, when Jesus was in John 14, he's grieving because he knows he's going to leave. He knows he's going to suffer because he's going to follow through with the not my will but yours be done of the Father. That meant he had to go and die so that we could all live. But he's grieving for his disciples and he's saying, you guys, I'm going to send someone. It's going to be my third family member. It's the Holy Spirit. I'm going to ask the Father and he'll send it. So don't worry. When I die and I go up and you aren't going to understand this for a long time, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. They didn't get it. But later they got it. And that's how the gospel got to the rest of the world. So even in us sharing this little glimpse of life on the inside. One, I hope you'll realize how to pray effectively for so many people around the world who are on the inside right now, all over the world. Some of you are on the inside of your own problems, your own struggles, your own challenges. You know, we can't just pray, get them out, even though that's a prayer I wanted to be answered. We can pray. Give them revelation of you. Let them see the Holy Spirit in this. Let them see that you walk them through the fire. God is not saying, I'm happy you're in the fire. He's saying, but I want you to have a deeper revelation of me. I want you to know me in the fire. And it's only in that context that we can say all things work together for good for them who love him and are called according to his purposes. And so that led us to Myanmar. And we never knew in 2018, a couple of years after we got out, that then God would open a brand new door. He would bump us into a young pastor, and we would share our story, and he would share his story. And he would say, you guys, you get us, he said. And I was like, I don't get you. Really? I don't know your languages. There's like 135 ethnic minorities in your country. There's 111 languages and 55 million people. And I only speak Chinese, a little bit of Korean, English, French. I don't even speak Burmese or Karen or Chin or Kachin. And he's like, no, but you get us. You know how to be comforted by the Holy Spirit. You know how to suffer. Welcome to Myanmar. So we went to Myanmar, 
And the next few years until now, we've been setting up life hubs in Myanmar. Life hubs that answer the questions of their heart for both practical relief because they have no water. You may have heard in February 2021, there was a military coup in Myanmar, which meant there's now 250,000 more people displaced because of that coup. So that means they've, their villages have been raised, they're on the run, they're living in the middle of nowhere, they don't have clean water sources or food or tents or tarps. We can come alongside them with practical aid. We can grab hold of some youth and offer them some sustainable training for their livelihood, but the real sustainable livelihood is Jesus. You see, so that's why I don't say I'm a humanitarian, I'm not. You know, if I could make another word, like a Jesusitarian. I mean, we can't just give the practical help and not give Jesus. Because even if someone had given give me the best meal ever in prison, it wouldn't have been close to what God gave me of himself, of his family pouring out into my heart. And so now we're able to do these things. And it's been such a privilege to work in that nation, answering their questions, coming alongside them, working with these great and beautiful partners and people. And I just want to show you just a one-minute uh, little glimpse of what we do so you can just kind of see how it unpacked over there in the past year for us. just get a glimpse of that, but I'd really love you to have a glimpse into the hearts of some of those people. I'd love you to hear all of their stories, and I'm just going to end this little part, and Kevin's going to come up and do a closing, and we have a little special thing to sneak in there for you guys, but I was there with Kevin, and we were doing in one of the places that you actually saw in the pictures, and we were sharing about the third family member, the Holy Spirit. And they said, yeah, we heard about Jesus before, and we heard a little bit about the Father, but we really didn't get the Holy Spirit. Like, really? What is, you know, what is it? And we just started to read from the scripture. The Holy Spirit, Jesus said, is the paraclete, the advocate, the helper, the standby, the comforter. He's all these things. He has many names. In fact, he has all the names of God. And when we believe in Jesus... He fills us and lives in us. 
And this little boy, at the end, I always ask questions to them. I say, okay, just come up and share something that God really spoke to you as you listened. And this is after we maybe prayed with them and just let them have a chance to just think through some of these really tragic things. And this little boy, who had been, traf not trafficked, but had been escaped very carefully out of Myanmar and put in a boarding house, which is a safe house for children. And he came up and he said to us, you know what? My family's killed. My real family's killed. They're gone. I didn't know if, if I would live. I had no food until someone rescued me and brought me out. And now I'm in this family of 89 children. And we only have one set of parents, and they're trying to take care of us all. And he said, but when I heard you talk about God in prison and the Holy Spirit living in you, he said, I will never be afraid because I will always have a family, no matter where I am, no matter what I do. And we just like, we're so thankful for prison because we can connect into those children's lives, those youth lives, those families on the run, the communities on the run, into their lives. You who know Jesus can connect into people's lives in ways you do not know. And if you don't know him, he is whispering, calling, rushing to reach you and to say, I love you. Open your eyes to me and, and I have a, designed you for a story that you haven't even yet lived. And we met a family along the way and I'm going to bring them up here right now and just introduce them to you. And their names are the Fosters. And they're from Saskatchewan, from a little tiny town in Saskatchewan, but they had spent some time in Rwanda. They worked with a difficult minority in the north of China. And through a miracle, we met them, and they're going to be coming with us back over there to work. Uh, we're leaving January 7th. But I just think there's a word of encouragement from this young man here named Johan. You want to come up here, Johan? He has, is just wearing one of these solar lights. And these are lights in the darkness. And Arthur's wearing one too, and he's got it on. So Johan just wants to sing you something that we hope will encourage your hearts and is really a word from all of us to all of us and to those outside. This the light of mine. I didn't let it shine. This the light of mine. I didn't let it shine. This the light of mine. I didn't let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Jesus is the light. I didn't let it shine. Jesus is the light. I didn't let it shine. Jesus is the light. I didn't let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Amen. How's that for a solo? Thank you so much, Johan. And just, yeah, Kevin's just going to come and close, but, you know, it's just been such a joy seeing Jesus in you. And I hope you've seen something, a glimpse of Jesus in us. And I hope you'll take that and let that shine wherever you go.
Thank you, Johan. That was amazing. He can be your next soloist. I want to end with the three questions I started with. Did God really mean prison for good? Yes. For us, for Joseph, for Wang Ting, for Henry, for the warden, he meant it for good and for Myanmar. Is God really who he says he is? Yes. He meets us in our needs at every moment and assures us Jesus loves us. Can we trust God when our lives are totally turned upside down? Yes. He answers, he comforts, because his goal is always the saving of many lives. I learned early on in prison when we were first abducted, after my first desperate and frightened prayer to God, I said, God, get me out of here right now. That was my prayer. Not very good. But it was desperate. But I learned to say with Jesus in Luke twenty-two forty-two, not my will, but yours be done. Can you just pray that with me? Can you say to God, don't say it if you don't mean it, not my will, God, but yours be done. And remember, no matter what the circumstances, we must proclaim the hope we have. Can we just, um, you know, I think it's sometimes appropriate that we would thank people for their witness. Yes? Um, I, I think we need to thank Kevin and Julie for the witness. And, the, and, and I think we, it would be appropriate that we would clap at this point. Yeah. So they didn't make a big deal of this and they never do. But did you, like, like if it's me and I'm in prison for three years, then what I'm doing is I'm going to an island, preferably somewhere warm, and I'm just staying there by myself with my family and I'm having people send me candy corn every single week. Like that's, but what I want you to see is the perseverance of Jesus in them. And maybe you're here today and you don't know this Jesus. This would be a great day to say, to, like, I think we can see Jesus in them. If you've been wondering, like, is God real? I'm not really sure. Is this all like some... I, I, I want you to see that through their life, that the life of Jesus is real. And I, I believe God wants to call some of us to make a decision for him today, to say yes to Jesus, maybe for the very first time. There are others of us here today, and you've been on the edge of wanting to give up for various reasons. Maybe it's your health. Maybe you just can't take the state of the world right now. I, like, there's a million reasons. I want to call you to perseverance today. I want to call you to say yes to God, to say to him, yes, whatever I'm faced with right now, whatever I'm faced with in this moment, I am going to keep going. That you would really pray that prayer, Kevin said, not my will, but yours be done. And maybe you're feeling heavy right now. Maybe you could identify with Kevin being in that prison saying, I, I don't think I can take it one more day. I, I just want to call you to say, God, I, I don't feel like I can make it, but I know that you're with me. 
And so I, I'm going to persevere. The last thing I want us to do is that things like this, when we hear stories like this, it is not enough for us to just mentally make assent to that. I mean, it's nice that we mentally say yes. But, but I actually think we must be people that put our literally be people that put our money where our mouth is. So with our mouths and heart, we say, wow, this is good. But I want to call us to be people that say, and, and I'm actually, Jesus said that where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. I'm actually going to take some of my treasure and give my treasure to this. So there's a number of ways you can give. Listen, I make no apology. I, I know some people, yeah, maybe you're uncomfortable. Oh yeah, of course they didn't talk about money now, but before, but now they're talking about it now. But the thing is, God doesn't really have our heart till he has all of us, right? And our money constitutes a big part of us. As a church community, we've made a goal to raise $50,000 for communities like nation to nation around the world. And we're getting there. Every week we're getting a bit closer. But I just know this. Some of you have already given. And just in this moment, you feel a bit of discomfort because you know you can give more. Wouldn't it be awesome if we could give $100,000 to see people in Myanmar, to see people all over the world come to Jesus? That doesn't happen by accident, though. I know it's easy to look around and say, well, that person looks like they're wearing nice clothes. They should give more. But it's going to take all of us, all of us, saying, you know what? This month I can go without my... There's no eggnog latte anymore at Starbucks. So you can get... I'm sorry if I announced that to you and you're sad. You could give up that money to get, I, I'm telling you, we got to get practical about this, right? As, as a community of people, we want to not just talk about these things in our hearts and give mental assent to them. We actually, we actually want to be people of action because action is what always changes the world. Let's pray this morning. Can I just ask you all across the place, could you stand to your feet? I believe God's going to bring strength to some of you today going to bring supernatural strength to your hearts. He's going to give you perseverance in places you didn't think you had it. I believe God, listen, let me just speak to some of the young adults in the room that are graduating university. I just believe that God might call some people from here that we're going to be ascending church, that many of you are going to say, like, I could go and work and make $100,000 next year, but I could also go and give a year of my life or two years of my, or a year of your life that turns into 30. All across the place, would you just lift your hands to God? Wherever you are today, maybe you've never said yes to Jesus. Just maybe in the moment, God's calling you and you could say, yes, Jesus, I need you. God, I need you. Holy Spirit, now I pray that you'd speak to every person in this place. Speaking to some of us, God, and asking us to persevere, to not give up when we want to throw in the towel. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd come and be very close to every person right now. God, some of us, you're speaking to us about going. God, I pray that you'd give us ears to hear and you'd give us courage to step out in faith, God. Father, I pray that you'd, you'd give us uh, abundance of courage to be people that put our money where our mouth is. God, I pray that you'd speak to people in this moment. They'd give not just hundred, but a thousand, not just a thousand, but five thousand. God, I just pray that you put that into people's hearts and minds today because you are a God of action. God, we want our hearts to be with you. To the person, God, that's here for the very first time who doesn't know you, Jesus, I pray that you would make yourself real. Would you show up in an in undeniable way so that, God, all of us could say yes to you, yes to your life, yes to your hope. And Jesus, I pray that many people 
would make decisions to make you Lord of their lives, to follow you all the days of their life. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us today on Journey Church Podcast. For more information about our ministry, visit myjourney.church.